Welcome to the Soda Baptist Church podcast. This message is part of the teaching ministry of Soda Baptist Church in Livingston, Texas. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged to grow closer in your walk with Christ through this message. We invite you to check out our website at www.sodabaptist.org for more information about our church. And again, my goodness, it's uh, almost a full house this morning. And uh, we're glad that you're here. Pray that, that you'll receive a blessing from the message this morning. I know that uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the, de- the definition of the gospel. We're going to be looking at the, the occurrence of the resurrection. We know that I don't like to call it Easter. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. We're looking forward to the Resurrection Sunday, the celebration of the resurrection. Easter has no power. The resurrection has all the power. So as we begin this morning, I'm going to be looking at, and this is the way I've titled it, The Resurrection, The Good News. And we're going to look at the definition of the good news, which is the gospel. We're going to be looking at that definition this morning and pray that you'll get uh, a lot out of it. I'm going to be looking in two different uh, portions of Scripture in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, in Luke chapter 4. So if you will uh, turn and get your fingers kind of in both of those places, uh, we'll look at it. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, I mean uh, 16 and 17 is where I'll begin. I do want to mention that we will be having a sunrise service again this year down at uh, Bluff Creek Cemetery. Uh, the reason that we have it as a cemetery, someone says, I would, and I would, I would like to have it at the, the old uh, Soda Baptist Church over here overlooking that pond. The sun would be coming up. Let me tell you, that would be a great place to have it, wouldn't it? It would be beautiful, but we'd be in the wrong place. Because when the resurrection takes place, I want you to know the Scripture tells us that those who are dead in Christ, or in other words, those who have died from this world prior to Jesus' coming. When Jesus comes, the graves will open up and those bodies will come out of the graves and we'll be reunited with our spirit and our soul in the air. So I want you to know Resurrection Sunday, the place to be is down there at the cemetery as we see our loved ones come forth. And, and uh, I pray that the Lord will come back before I have to be in that place and I believe that He will. I know a lot of people have said that over the years. I don't see how he can be waiting much longer. That's why in my prayer this morning, listen, I I know lots of people that are religious. I know lots of people that they care about the church. They know all the things they need to know about salvation, but they have just not taken that step in their heart. I mean, they've got it all up here. But they've just not taken that step in their heart to accept Jesus Christ unconditionally and just throw up their hands and say, Lord, I just give you my life. I have tried and tried and tried to make sense out of this life. But until you turn your life over to Jesus, it doesn't make sense at all. Everything becomes clear when you turn your life over to Jesus. So what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at the definition of of the gospel and how it can change our lives. And uh, let's look at it uh, here in uh, this definition. I'm going to read a verse out of Ephesians first, but I'll, I'll read that to you. 
The gospel is, listen to this definition. The gospel is the good news that God restored our broken lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The gospel is the good news that God restored. Notice that past tense. That God restored our broken lives through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to those who believe. Did you notice that last part? To those who believe. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 it says, In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Notice that being saved and accepting the good news of the gospel is based on our belief. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. That word faith and the word believe and the word trust can be almost entertained or interchanged naturally. To believe means to have faith. To have faith means to trust. To, to trust also means to, to believe. I mean, it's all kind of intertwined in there together. And it's that step that we take when we hear the gospel. Now, that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to know exactly what this gospel is. And the gospel is, and it includes all of this. The gospel is the good news. And I want you to know this is good news. That God restored our broken lives, our sinful lives, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is no other. There is no other way. There is no other gospel. There is no other answer. There is no other, there is no other way. John chapter 14, Jesus tells him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. There is no other relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. And that is because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So let's look in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And it, will, it just brings this all together in one spot where Paul is talking about how he is not ashamed of this gospel. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're talking about the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came, that he died, that he rose again. That is the gospel. That's what we need to proclaim. Let's look over here now in Luke chapter uh, 4, and uh, we're going to look at this scripture. Uh, let me kind of give you a, a preview of what is taking place here in Luke chapter 4. Look in uh, verse number 1 and 2. We know that we don't hear anything from Jesus except... Uh, when he was 12 years old, we hear about his birth. 
we hear one little small incident that happens when he was 12 years old where he goes to Jerusalem and he's speaking to the rulers and some of the teachers and some of the doctors and, and the chief priest. And I want you to know they are just whew, amazed at what learning he has at 12 years old. And if you'll remember, they get there and Jesus is still talking to them. His mom and dad leave Jerusalem because they've come because of the Passover they get up a couple of days away and they realize that Jesus is not with them. Then they have to turn back. My goodness gracious, can you imagine how Mary felt? I've lost the Son of God. <laughs> what kind of parent am I? But she goes back and... But that's, the, that's one incident. That's one incident we find out about 12 years old. We don't hear anything else about Jesus until He's 30 years old. All right? So look here in, in uh, Luke chapter 4, and it starts off, and it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the reason that he was at the Jordan, he was at the Jordan because he was baptized by John the Baptist. So we pick up right there. It tells us now that he goes into the wilderness, and uh, in verse number 2, "...being forty days tempted of the devil." Now, most of us know that story, and we're not going to read through it. You can continue reading if you would like, and you'll hear all the things that Satan tempted him with. But this is the first beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is baptized. He goes into the, the wilderness area. He is tempted for 40 days. And then we pick up this story or this event that takes place in his life, and we're going to begin there in verse number 13. Notice what it says. And when the devil had entered all, ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the regions round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been uh, brought up, and in his as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up uh, for them to read. Now, notice what it says here. It says, now after Jesus has been baptized, he has gone into the wilderness area. He was tempted of Satan for 40 days. He overcame that temptation, and if you read through there, it was through the Word of God. He used Scripture every time to bout the temptation. It's an example to us. We can use God's Word to do that. But then he, when he leaves there, it says he goes into Galilee. Notice what it says that he does. When he goes from, from Galilee and he's going through these towns and villages, one of the things that he does every Sabbath day, which is on a Saturday, every Saturday he would go, he would go to these synagogues. We could call them church buildings or places of worship for the Jewish people. He would go to these synagogues and it says there, he began to create a great fame. In other words, people begin to follow him. Not long after that, he goes into the city of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is where Jesus was raised up. Probably for, I don't know, out of the 30 years, probably, oh, I don't know, probably 25 of those years. We know that he spent some time in, in uh, Egypt and, and uh, uh, he spent some time in Bethlehem. But probably 25 years of his life was raised right there in that little town, Nazareth. And when he gets there, he does what he normally does. It says that he goes to the synagogue. And it says he went up, and as accustomed was, he goes and he stood up to read. That is what they would do. 
They've done the same thing in the Jewish temples or the, the synagogues as we do like here on a Sunday morning. They take the Bible, they read it, and then they expound on it. You might say that Jesus was preaching. So that's exactly what we see is taking place. Now look here in, here in verse number 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet. And if you're looking at a King James Bible, that's the Greek word for Isaiah. The book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened this book, he found the place where it was written. Now this is, he is reading directly out of Isaiah 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, this is not the first time that they have read this scripture. Understand this. The Jewish people understood that when they read this scripture, this scripture identified the Messiah or the Christ that was to come. They were looking for this guy. They were looking for the one that was going to be appointed to preach the gospel to, to the poor, the ones that were going to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance. They were looking for him. They were looking for the one that was going to give sight back to the blind. Now understand this. Prior to Jesus getting to Nazareth and these synagogues that he has been going into, he has been doing just that. He's been preaching to the poor. Even the healing that was taking place, Jesus was doing those things. So when he gets to this scripture right here, he is basically reading this. And who is this scripture talking about? It's talking about him. Well, this is what he is going to do here. He is fixing to tell them. He says, listen, guys, um, this scripture is talking about me. Right? Look what it says in verse number 20. And it says, and he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Do you know what Jesus just told them? I'm the Messiah. I am the one that was written about way back here in Isaiah. I was the one that they were writing about. I'm here. Now, I want you to know that was not popular. That was not acceptable unto them. And we're fixing to read this. I want you to know we're fixing to read here where they take him outside the city and they're fixing to throw him off of a cliff and put him to death because of what he is saying. Because they reject it. Now, let me tell you, the reason that I'm talking about the gospel this morning... The reason I'm talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is so unpopular today is to mention the blood that was shed on the cross because people find it gory and gross to mention blood. Let me tell you, without the blood, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sin without the blood. Without life being given, there is no remission of sin. And we have to understand, we can't condone what the world is teaching today about all of these things. 
We have to get back to God's Word and teach God's Word, whether it is acceptable or unacceptable, to the ones around us. We've got to stay in the Word of God. So Jesus says in verse 21, He says, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your eyes. And all bore Him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. And they said, Wait a minute. Remember where He's at. He's in His hometown. Isn't this the son of Joseph? Did we just hear Him say that He is the Messiah? The one that we're to be looking for? Wait a minute. Isn't He this the son of Joseph? And Jesus said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard uh, heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. In other words, this is what the, the group right here, his hometown, was saying. We heard before you got here what you done in Capernaum. We heard that you healed the blind. We heard that you healed the sick. We heard that you raised the paralyzed. We heard all of these things. Now listen, if you want us to believe what you're saying, you do here what you've done there. That's what they're wanting. They're wanting to see this evidence. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, Many widows, and he's given an example of a situation that took, back, took place in Elijah's day. He says, but I will tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heathen was shut, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save the uh, Sarepha of the city of Siddim, unto a woman that was a widow. In other words, he said, listen, and most of us remember this story, when Elijah, he came before uh, the king there at that time, and he said, listen, it's not going to rain until I come back and say it's going to rain. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. You remember, he went to the, God fed him in the wilderness. He went down to the brook. The brook dried up. God sent him to this widow. And this is what he's saying. He said, listen, there was lots of widows in the land that day. But God sent me to one. Then he tells them this in verse 27. Another example, when Elisha was, was teaching, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed save Naaman the Syrian. He's saying, listen, you need to understand, God is the God of all, but in these two incidences... He picked one widow and he, picked, he chose to, to, to heal one leper. I want you to know God is sovereign. There's not a single thing that has taken place in your life or the life of your loved ones that God is not fully aware of. So he tells them, he says, listen to this. Now, and all of they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. This is what these people are sitting there realizing that that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to these people in his hometown, he's saying, look, God only chose this group right here, the widow out of this group, and God chose this one leper out of this group, and God has chosen not to reveal to you these miracles that I have been performing in other cities. So they recognized. 
He done told him, he said, I'm not welcome in my own town because y'all think I'm the son of Joseph. Who was Jesus the son of? He was the son of God. He was not the son of Joseph. Now, Joseph was his earthly father that provided for him, but let me tell you, he was not the son of Joseph. He was the son of God. They refused to accept it. And when Jesus said, I'm not fixing to do miracles here, it says their wrath was stored up. The wrath was stirred up. Verse 29. And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of the hill whereupon the city was built that they might cast him down headlong. In other words, if you're going to tell us what the truth is and we don't accept the truth, we're going to put you to death. That's what he said. That's what the people said. Now, this is what the people say today. You narrow-minded Christian. You narrow-minded Christian. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way? There are many ways to get to God. I can do it of my own faith. I can do it of my own way. I can do it myself. There's religions out there that tell you today that you can be your own God. But the Scripture, the scripture reveals explicitly to us I'm going to tell you what the truth is, and if you do not accept it, you'll get mad, you'll quit coming to church, you'll go find you another religion, you'll find someone that tickles your ears and tells you what you want to hear, all of these things. But I'm here to tell you today that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what can save you and give you eternal life, is one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came and He lived on this earth a sinless life. He died and He gave His life. Listen to me. He gave His life on the cross. Those Jewish people, although they rejected Him, could not take His life. He freely gave it. In Luke chapter 23, verse 16, it tells us this. When it says that the Jews rejected Him, this is Jesus standing before Pilate. And he says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. This is Pilate speaking. And he says, listen guys, y'all brought me this man named Jesus. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one of them at the feast. And they cried all at once saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. In other words, they, the Jewish people, have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Verse 19, who for a certain sedition made in the city, he was a murderer in other words. Verse 20, Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again unto them, but they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I find no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they that were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified, and the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed, and they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They refused to believe. Listen, same situation here in Nazareth. Jesus comes and he said, listen, I'm not going to do what you desire for me to do. And they took him out on the hill and was wanting to cast him down. They rejected him. 
They brought him before Pilate. Pilate says, I don't, find, I don't find a death sentence on this man. I'm going to release him and let him go. They again says, we do not want you to release him. We want you to crucify him. They rejected Jesus Christ. Will we again this morning reject the gospel again waiting for another day? Will we... Will we reject? I mean, I want you to know Wayne Bickley is not the one saying this. The Scripture is the one saying this. There is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I'm reminded of a Scripture in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul tells them this. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now he seeks to tell us what this gospel is. He says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and therefore in what you stand, by which also you were saved. Let me, let me make sure that we understand this. The reason of what the gospel saves us from is our sin. Some people will say, I don't need to be saved. Well, goodness gracious, if you don't recognize what the Scripture says... The Scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do we understand this morning? We are not sinners because we have sinned. We are sinner. We sin because we are sinners. We can't help ourselves. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where it says by which also you were saved, listen, we are saved from our sins. He says, keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I believe, I delivered unto you first of all, that also I received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. Listen, when you believe that and apply it to your life, that changes your life. Hey, what did, did, did you hear me say that you had to understand it? You don't even have to understand all of why, why the blood. I've got a message that I preach. Why the blood? Because people reject that gory thing about the blood and all of that. They reject, even Christians refuse to see the, uh, what's the Jesus movie? The Passion of the Christ. Because it's so brutal. You bet it was brutal because he was paying for the, the sin debt that you and I have. He paid that debt. And that's what he's saying right here. It is Christ's death for our sins according to the Scripture. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day. All of that is the gospel. That's what saves us. It tells us that Jesus did not have his life taken. And I've said this before in John chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up. This commandment have I received from my Father. Let's understand this. Let's understand this. I, I know that I know that Jesus Christ had to give His life. He gave it freely. Medically? Medically, I don't know how many stripes Jesus took. 
I know the scripture says that they placed a crown of thorns on his head. I know the scripture says they sped upon him and they hit him with their fists and said, prophesy who hit you. I know the scripture says that while he was going down the road to Calvary carrying his cross on his back, the Bible says that they took rods and they beat him as he walked down that road. I know the scripture tells us that at one point he was no longer physically able to carry his cross. I do not know how much blood Jesus shed from the time they flogged him and beat him until he was crucified and nailed to that cross. But let me tell you what, mankind could not take his life. Mankind, it was not possible for them to take his life. I will even go out on a limb and say if Jesus had already shed most of his blood on the way to the cross, his heart might have still been beating in his body, no blood left in his body to, to pump. But let me tell you, they still could not take Jesus' life because Jesus gave his life. They did not take it. He willingly gave his life to pay your sin debt so that you might be saved. And I'm telling you, if Jesus did all of that, we must understand there is not another way to be saved in this world. It doesn't matter how good you think you've done. It doesn't matter how you think you've lived your life. Let me let you know that it was the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, it says this, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed or forgiven or changed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by the tradition from your father, he's looking, he's saying this. He said, It is not even the traditions that you practice. Keep coming to church. It's not going to save you. Coming to church doesn't save you. Living a good life doesn't save you. He says right here. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifested in these last days to you who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. I think this kind of just boils it down to what it says. Redemption for sin is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed in His resurrection. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed in His resurrection. I was stand, standing down here this morning and, and you know that I have a... I really do, when I, I preach, I want to saturate my message with Scripture. I don't want anyone to think that I'm coming up and giving you my opinion or interpretation of Scripture, but it is my desire to make sure that we understand what Scripture says, and then I want to proclaim that. And then I was just standing down there this morning, I was thinking, my goodness, I've got three Scriptures up there, and normally I have 15 or 20 Scriptures up there. And in my heart this morning... God said, kiss, and you've probably heard this 
the four. Keep it simple, stupid. Just keep it simple. I'm telling you, I could go back in the Scriptures and, and we could look in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 where it tells us that life is in the blood and that only... And the blood is made for an atonement for our souls. I mean, I, we could dig up all of this stuff. And it might even confuse us more than it gives us a simplicity in understanding the Scripture. I just want to say this morning, I just want to say, Jesus Christ is coming back. Alright? He's coming back and He's going to take the church home with Him. First, First Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to know where I'm getting that. But we need to understand, if we do not believe and put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done, that He came and He died for our sins, that He rose again, and that He's come again, if we can't do that, I, we just need to know that we're not saved. That's as simple as I can do it. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and 9, it says, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you can be saved. And it, then it opens up and it even, it even says and defines that with the mouth confession is made into salvation, but with the heart we are redeemed. It's not enough to say it with our mouth. It's, got, it's something that we do from the heart. And then the scripture says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is an act where we call upon the Lord for salvation. There is a point in our life that we have conversation with God. It's not just something that just happens. It's something that we participate in. It's something that we do. It's not because our mom and daddy are saved, or it's not because mom and daddy are members of the church that it just automatically is, is in, in put in us. I want you to know it is an act that each individual makes. My prayer this morning is that you have made that conscious decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not as some faith will teach you that if you continue to go through the process, you will eventually, if you just keep coming, and if, if you keep learning, and if you keep saying these scriptures, if you, you will eventually come to know salvation. I want you to know, if you're a born-again child of God, every single person in this room knows when it took place. It, it, it's not something that just oozes into your life. The Bible says that you were quickened. In other words... At one moment, one split second, you are going to hell. The next split second, you're not. At one point in your life, you were an unbeliever, and it, poof, now you're a believer. And it's something that is done because Jesus Christ saves you and reconciles you and redeems you through what He did on the cross. So that's the message this morning. The next weeks we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus in the last week that He spent on this earth. And I want you to know His concern as far as disciples as they go out and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Those people in Nazareth rejected Him. says, no, we don't believe you. You don't line up with what we think. The Jewish nation rejected Him as they stood before Pilate. says, we don't believe that He is the Son of God. Let's crucify Him. All of that was part of God's plan so that He might redeem us all. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, for, for many in this room, this is probably a pretty simple message. 
something that we've been taught most of our life about what Jesus did on the cross and how He was raised from the dead and uh, how He can save us. And many of us are here this morning that we can just repeat all of these things. Many of us here can point to that time when we prayed and asked You to save us. Many of us can. Father, there are some in this room that can't. God, I'm, I'm just praying this morning that the simple message of the gospel, the process of where you sent your son and raised him from the dead so that we might have a relationship with you, I pray that that message will be received this morning in the hearts of many. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to assemble like this and speak about the great things that you do for us. As we leave this place this morning, I pray that that life that you live inside of us will be revealed to other people, that they might be saved before it's everlasting too late. Now, I want to thank you, God, this morning, that even after your word is presented, you give us an opportunity to respond to your invitation to come. I just pray that you'll be pleased with our response. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this invitation hymn together.